Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to another episode of Fantasy Fireside, where today we've had so many requests for this episode. It's been hotly anticipated. We are finally talking about the uh, the Frenchman of Warhammer Fantasy, the 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 Sigma males, the uh, the elf simps themselves, Bretonia, and. Um, as everyone I'm sure knows, Colin absolutely has a lot to say about Bretonia. So I, I'd just like to pass it on. Colin, uh, should, we should get started. What do you think about Bretonia? Ah, well, I'm glad you asked. Well, you see, I think they suck. I hate them. They're stupid. They probably smell really bad. They're very fun. They're really fun to talk about. Uh, I love how I open a Total War game and I start as the Empire and then half of the Western Empire no longer belongs to the Empire. It belongs to Lowen Lowenkor and his dumb, awful face. He shows up. Marienburg's no longer the Imperial. It's now belonging to Lowenkor. Uh, I really love how, in a setting where part of the charm is you can see the different factions advance, you can see the end of the Empire go through the Renaissance, the early Industrial Revolution, get gunpowder, get steel. It's really cool how Britonia goes, no, we're going to sit in medieval stasis for all of time. Uh, it's really cool how I think they're the only... Uh, the only pantheon in Warhammer who are confirmed to be completely wrong. Like, you know, you got, uh, you know, like the Mechanicus, there's some debate over like, you know, what is it, the, the Omnisci? Is it the Void Dragon? Is it the Emperor? Could he be his Everything own thing? works. Can say yeah, that. It, yeah. it really could be anything. Bretonia? No, they're just straight up wrong. The Lady of the Lake is not their god. It's an elf. It's not even, it's not even the head of the elven god. It's the goddess of magic Lilia. They're just completely wrong. Uh, they also get played by the Wood Elves, so, you know, listen, like I've said, I can respect some Elf simping. Uh, they're just duped. They don't know they're doing it. They think they're all on their own, which is stupid and awful, and I hate them. Uh, Grail Knights are annoying. Nothing is quite as fun as watching him, the their armies pump out 50 Grail Knights, and then I explode. Uh, it's really fun and lore watching them explode. I hate them. They're, uh, they're pretty horrible all around. Uh, Marcus Kruber becoming a Grail Knight was the biggest character assassination I've ever seen in Vermintide. That was that was horrendous, and it made me want to cry. Uh, yeah, I uh, I really hate them, and I hope all of them uh, get end times again. I hope the old world has a special segment where the entire country gets nuked by Skaven Warpstone. Oh, so um, I guess is that the episode done? Uh, I mean, I can go on. Uh, I hate them. I hate them. I don't know if you knew that I hate them. Uh, they uh, they have one cool thing, which is Giles LeBreton. He's the only good Bretonian, partially because he's dead, and the only good Bretonian is a dead one. Uh, other than that, let's see. They were too snooty for Sigmar, uh, which is already something that's just a crime. The dwarves thought Sigmar was a cool guy, and if they thought a human was good, who are you to get on your high fucking horse and go, no, we're too good for Sigmar? Uh, they're just... Arthurian legends, but ripped off, which, you know, you can say that about a lot of Warhammer factions, but at least they're changed up a bit. No, they, they didn't do that for Bretonia. They just switched some names, and they, they didn't even switch some of the names. Giles LeBren is just the Green Knight. You know, the Green Knight from King Arthur's story. Very cool. Very good story. I love, I hate them. In fact, you know what? No, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I'm not doing this episode. I'm out. I'll see you, you later. It. I quit. Wow. Have fun. Figure it out. Good luck. All right. Have fun.
Only kidding, everyone. Uh, Colin didn't really want to talk about Bretonia today, uh, so I've actually got someone who's a who's a bit of a fan about talking about Bretonia, and it's his first time on uh, on Fantasy Fireside. So, Eli, how are you today? We're talking Hello. about Bretonia. Yes, we are. I'm very good. Thank you, Mister Andy. I'm excited to talk about the uh, one of the best factions in Warhammer. That's you know gone a little. It's gotten a little too much hate from our friend. Uh, mm. From our friend Colin, I think he's kind of spread the Bretonia hate a little, a little bit. Yeah, so I'm here a, to a little, just a maybe little. redeem them. Okie dokie. Um, well, I'll try not to interrupt too much because it's a casual conversation. I know there's a lot to talk about, um, but before we talk about anything, like why is it? I think they're one of your is if it's not the most one of your most favorite factions in fantasy. Why? Why do you like them so much? What's their What's their draw? Uh, they're just have such a I'm, I'm a big fan of knights who isn't i'm always you know chivalry and knights and honor and all that stuff has always resonated with me i love that stuff and bretonia is just that uh ramped up to a million it's just the authorian uh or you know what i mean the yeah knights the of Arthur, authorian legend yeah yeah uh basically just nice that, but in warhammer <laughs> their heroes hmm. are awesome the uh the good sides of it are really amazing there's bad sides obviously but um yeah, I like I just like the heroes a lot. I think, and just the general, their whole general shtick is really fun and really cool. Um, but I don't know if they're my absolute favorite in fantasy. I, it's a oh, okay. it's close between the dark elves and the vampires, and then Bretonia probably somewhere something like that. Fair but enough. I do I do love them. I love their aesthetic so much as well. It's like uh, I don't know if you remember, but. <clears throat> there were these mega blocks like bionicle type knight oh, guys yeah. and those were like those were my freaking thing as a kid i loved those so much i'm so seeing I guess that quite kind of a, stuck with me forever i'm seeing a strange amount of like people mentioning bionicles in warhammer videos <laughs> these days i don't know what it is just there's, there's uh, a trend going there's a through bionicles line. are awesome <laughs> yeah they are um but yeah so other than that um would you like to take it away where, where are we where are we starting on this journey yes. through Bretonia? We are we're going to go adventure into Bretonia. Today is a mm. somewhat basic overview of them, but it's a lot. A lot of things, but also basic. So should be nice and easy to digest, I'm hoping. Maybe I'll get my own uh, beginner to expert and make 40 pages of lore someday. <laughs> but we'll just hear Colin seething in the background. <laughs> going, and he, can do, he can do the beginner <laughs> section and I'll do the expert mm. section. It'll be real fun. Fair enough. <laughs> okay. So... Let's dive into our Bretonia lore. Bretonia is a land of heroes, my good friend. It is a land founded upon codes of honor and chivalry, a land fought for by heroes and unified in its vision. The Empire hides behind their black powder machines with no thoughts of honor, while nations Ooh. such as Tilia pay off mercenaries to fight in their stead, not Bretonia. Fair Bretonia holds heroes like no other, great men and women who will charge headlong into darkness with no thought for themselves. Led by a demigod king who leads from the front, patrolled by superhuman paladins who slay whatever beast they find, and always watched over the, by the mysterious green knight, Bretonia is truly a sight to behold. It is a feudal nation, employing a strict hierarchy with the king firmly on top. The king owns the entirety of the land and everything in it, and his word is final. There is... One with more authority than him, though, and that is the Fey Enchantress, the emissary of the Lady of the Lake, Morgiana. 
peasants sit at the bottom of this hierarchy, and some are oppressed living harsh lives, while others live relatively good ones. The way Warhammer, or the way Games Workshop writes Bretonia makes it a little bit inconsistent, because their general lore makes you think that peasants have the worst life in all of Warhammer, <laughs> and that they're the most oppressed group ever, that you could ever exist or ever imagine, but then in and in the lore of a lot of the dukedoms, their their lives don't seem that bad, and they just seem like regular okay. peasants. So it's very hard to. I think it's really a case to case basis. Um, okay. Well, if you were to compare them to say the empire, do they have a better lot in life than the empire, or is it kind of hard to say? Uh, I think the majority of peasants don't have a better life than the oh. ones in the empire. But <laughs> it depends on how you. It depends on how you see it, and where you live. Some of them might. Uh, I mean. It it really depends on your outlook of like they have very simple lives, they just farm and raise their families. And you might not have a musket, but the air is clear. That's nice. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. They don't have to go, you know, work in yield industrial revolution factory for mm. fifteen hours a day and stuff like that. So I mean, you know, pick your poison, I guess. But the regular peasant life in real life wasn't that bad. But this is Warhammer. So they have to make it bad, otherwise it's not warhammery enough. Mm. So I guess take a regular peasant's life and just assume that it's worse because it's yeah. Warhammer. But there are also nice places in Bretonia, so it depends. But I'll get into that um right in a little bit. Okay. But yeah. As I was saying, some are oppressed and they live harsh lives, while others live relatively good ones, theoretically. The people of this nation work together to further their land's glory. Each member of the hierarchy must perform their duty well for Bretonia to thrive, and many fervently work towards this great goal. Nobles rule the peasants' lands and general towns, and these individuals will greatly determine the quality of life for said peasants. The most important laws in the land are the codes of chivalry. Many lords and ladies follow these tenets, yet some do not, as all human society has corruption. Those who do not follow the laws are generally spiteful and evil people who exploit their peasants to extreme degrees. Hmm. Even with a good lord over the land, the general peasant populace still lives very basic lives. The Knights of Bretonia are the best in the old world, some of them even possessing supernatural abilities. In service of the lady, knights and paladins wander the land, destroying evil and defending the weak wherever they go. The mysterious and and all-powerful green knight operates out of thin air in the times of need to destroy entire armies by himself. Bretonia is truly a beautiful place of green pastures, golden fields, and incredible architecture. It is home to some of the greatest heroes of Warhammer, whose deeds are literally unmatched by all in the old world. The knights are scores above the empires, and even the most skilled warriors of that nation would struggle to battle a single paladin of Bretonia. And with that all said, I'll start with the history and general timeline of the nation. Okay. So, Bretonia, do you have any questions, Andy, before, before uh, we end? When when we were so let's say we compare you know we're saying about the 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 aristocracy ruling over the peasants mm-hmm. are they majority quite fair and virtuous or are they a bit more forty k corrupt <laughs> uh, we'll just put them the peasants through the meat grinder screw them <laughs> uh, it depends I think Games Workshop it likes depends. to focus Games Workshop authors like to focus on the on the bad guys okay because we'll, we'll, we'll put it this way like for example. Um, Colin absolutely adores Carl Franz because he just seems like a really nice guy. Is mm-hmm. the equivalent of Carl Franz also a really nice guy who's like, oh, I'm not like the other <laughs> other nobles who are beating and flogging their their, their, <laughs> well, their citizens. 
the the current king Louis Leoncourt or Louis Leoncourt, whatever. There's a lot of French names in this, by the way, viewers, mm. and I'll mispronounce most of them. So just deal with it, I guess. <laughs> but um, the current king uh, is a very good and noble man, and in okay. fact, he is willing to hear the pleas of all people, whether they be peasants or nobles. So if you have okay. an issue, you can take it up with Car- with uh, sorry, not Carl Lewin, although he's a very busy man. So. You know, they, but some of the noble, most of the nobles are really. I don't know if I should say most. Some of the nobles are really good people. Some of them, of course, are just human beings in places of power, and so naturally mm-hmm. they're bad people. Um, okay. It depends. But the knights, I'll, you know, we'll get. I'll, I'll explain why some yeah. of them are nice. But <laughs> it'll, it'll, we'll get to that. So, in my opinion, I'd say it's probably like half and half. I don't know if that's real or not, but. I'll let you decide once we're finished. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right, so let's get into the history. Uh, Bretonia was founded on the shoulders of a great man named Giles Le Breton. It might be Giles, but I'm going to say Giles, who united the Bretonia tribes. Uh, Before they even existed, though, the War of the Beard, which was the elves and dwarves, which I'm sure Colin taught you about earlier in your dwarf episode. Yeah, we mentioned them in the dwarf episode. It It was interesting stuff. Yep, it was largely fought upon these lands, uh, seeing the eventual defeat and exodus of the High Elves. Those who decided to stay would make the forest of Athalorn their home and become the Wood Elves. A tribe of Druidic and agricultural people would wander to these new, now abandoned lands, and eventually the tribe of Bretoni people would come over the Grey Mountains, and they would displace the general orcs and Druidic people. Sigmar would offer the Bretoni people to join him as he created the Empire, but they would refuse and stay fractured for a long duration of time because their cultural differences were just too great, it would appear, to join the Empire. Uh, but luckily for the Bretonians, or the Bretoni as they were at this time, the dwarves still lived within the Grey Mountains, and with these neighbors, the Bretoni people would trade and find technological knowledge through the Dowie. It was in these early days of colonization and newly developed communities that the knightly tradition that would become that would come to rule Bretonia came about. Each village or community had a great warrior whose only job was to train and protect his people. This warrior would eat the best meals, have a good living space within his watchtower, and be held with great respect. He would also have a strong warhorse. The ancient knight would be given the fairest maiden for a wife, and naturally this would bring about uh, generations of genetic specimens. The knights were muscle-bound, hulking men whose skills of the blade were incredible and whose courage was that of steel. Of course, this life of comfort came at a cost, and the warrior would need to ride to battle against any monsters or raiders roaming the lands. As the communities advanced and grew their warlords, and grew their warlords would become dukes, claiming their land as a dukedom of which there were 16, and nowadays there are only 50. Oh. But that that's uh, that's always a uh, something i really enjoyed just the the one guy tasked to be a knight over the entire village and they just feed him all the food he lifts all the weights gets super jacked and juicy and becomes a champion basically it's like a classic folk hero story but it's <laughs> in all the places in bretonia it's a very cool tradition, he's just like I gaston think. from uh <laughs> in the beast is like i just eat yeah, all literally. this meat and all the girls love me and i'm yep. so manly oh look at me i promise <laughs> I got... i'm not corrupt <laughs> <laughs> yeah literally um, now, the Greenskins living beside the Bretonis had amassed a wall and descended upon the dukedom of Quillot and destroyed it, but not after the valiant knights fought to the last. Two close-by dukedoms went out to destroy the now lesser army and then turned on each other, but this started also a fairly good tradition. The nobles 
knew more life did not need to be spent, uh, and they fought the first honor duel to decide the owner of the ruins of Quillo. For years to come, the lands would be plagued by wars from that of orcs, norskins, goblins, and beastmen. Bretonia was beset on all sides by the forces of evil, but one man stood against it all, the Duke of Bastogne, Giles Le Breton. He, he rallied three dukes to his banner, and they valiantly fought but were defeated. Camping beside a lake, after a desperate battle, the fate of Bretonia was decided. An ethereal and beautiful woman appeared to the knights, and Giles cried out, Lady, wouldst thou bless mine banner? And dipping the bloodied and tattered cloth into the lake, it came back to him, clean and emboldened with power. The icon of a golden grail lay upon it, and the remaining knights quickly had their arms blessed by the mysterious and clearly powerful Lady of the Lake. The warriors then drunk from the cup given by the Lady and were filled with incredible might. These were the first Grail Knights of Bretonia, and they became the Grail Companions. So that's the green... where the bathwater jokes have come from, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's some good bathwater, though, because um, <laughs> it makes it the... good and strong. Because <laughs> <laughs> we we can see the power that they gained from it as the Greenskin army approached. It was uh, vast as far as I could see, and they even blotted out the horizon. The small group of knights rallied around Giles as he raised his banner high, and they charged. It was as, it was as if they had become invincible, and that fate now shielded them as arrows streaked all around them. They crashed into the orcs' lines, wading deeper and deeper, never slowing the glorious advance and never faltering for a second. The greenskins were trampled beneath their feet and cleaved by their swords in a showing of impossible odds. Utterly terrified these demi of these demigods, the orcs fled and the day was won. Perhaps the most heroic victory against all the odds was fought that day. From then on, the knights swore to serve the lady and to free Bretonia. Giles was made leader of battles, and together the heroes would go on to fight for the glory and freedom of their people. So it was basically like 1,000 to 1 odds, and they just freaking uh, Riders of Rohan went mm -hmm. in there and... Yeah. They're basically like... As far as Warhammer Fantasy go, I'm pretty sure these guys were like Primark levels wow. of crazy. Maybe not that far, but... I mean, probably. Primark or at the least chapter master but i think and is this like the very beginning of their kind of because because i know the the i'm still very uncertain about the timeline of everything that happens but is this mm -hmm. like the majority of the time they've been around they've been the grail knights or is this a more recent development in the timeline uh, this was the like very beginning basically very beginning okay yeah for well i don't remember i don't know the exact timeline but this was the beginning of the creation of what was what has actually bretonia because bretonia didn't exist yeah. yet it was uh just like duke the dukedoms had just kind of formed and now they've been invaded by orcs and beastmen and like a million other enemies okay. and the people were very desperate and the place was basically it was the end times for them there wasn't much hope these were kind of like the last guys around to do anything about it and then they did and so, is is this pre-Empire of Man or post? I think it's around the same time. Okay, so like two big factions just start to like burge in as all this turmoil is going on, and it's like, oh, we'll yeah. do this thing, we'll do this thing. Yeah. Okay, I don't, I don't know the exact timeline because I don't know my Empire lore that good. But um, seeing as Sigmar offered to let the Bretonian people join them before this happened, I'd say he was reuniting the tribes of the Empire people around this time. Okay. So, probably something like that. <laughs> but, 
This victory marked the beginning of a string of victories for the three Kirail companions, uh, the first being Bordelot. The orc menace had besieged the port city, and so the companions swept in and slaughtered them all. It is said that the three Grail knights massacred more orcs than the entire army combined. I think I also said that Giles had three friends. I'm pretty sure he only had two friends, because they're, they're uh, the three guys. Uh, yeah, yeah. But they're anyways. the three musketeers of sorts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But they, they slayed... These three guys were worth an entire army, if not more. Mm. Uh, the lords of Bordelot and Aquitaine would join Giles, and the lady would appear to the gathered lords and bless the newcomers with the grail. The first grail chapel was erected in this spot. The heroes would then go on to win impossible battles all over Bretonia, the lady appearing to the lords of each nation as they joined the grail companions. The battles were fought on an insane scale, with the knights literally fighting hundreds to one and winning. I think one battle was 300 to one for their armies. Wow. And you know, they took the win. <laughs> Giles even led his knights into Athol Lorne to fight the orcs, uh, a largely untraveled place due to the rumors of a fey enchantress and her forest spirits. Said enchantress would lend her aid in battle. Yeah, yeah the fey enchantress, who is Galadriel, basically. Okay. But in another battle, Giles was struck low by a ballista and was then resurrected by the lady. And the rest of this history is entirely Grail Knights winning incredible battles, and each noble then being blessed by the Lady to join the Grail Companions, um, eventually becoming the dukedoms that we have today. Okay. But at long last, the final battle arose, and they battled against armies of Chaos, Beastmen, Greenskin, and Skaven. The Lady once again appeared and blessed the entire army, who, upon the fields of Corone, fought for their rights to live, and through weeks of battle and an ocean of blood, the day was won. The twelve dukedoms agreed to eternal peace. Fifteen, I'm pretty sure, but whatever. Uh, and Giles <laughs> became the king of Bretonia. Through the years, he would continue to battle the forces of darkness, but would be suspiciously slain by an orc arrow. Oh. Very sad. Uh, it probably wasn't an orc. I can't see how... So he, it, I don't so he got re resurrected from a ballista, but then an arrow got him. Yeah. Uh. I don't know. You, you tell me. It was an orc arrow as well, so... <laughs> All that an orc arrow actually killed him were pretty pretty low. <laughs> mm. um, but as as he died, he asked to be laying on a raft, uh, and within the mists of the lake that he was sent about, he was sent out on. It is said that he was taken by the lady. Giles' son Louis was crowned, but many debates arose of who deserved the throne. The young man took the pilgrimage to seek the lady and drink from the Grail, bringing the tradition of the questing knight. No individual was to become king or duke without drinking from the Grail. He returned, of course, and became king. I'm pretty. I think I'm wrong. Actually, I think no individual can become king without drinking from the Grail. I'm pretty sure right. a duke doesn't have to be a Grail knight because I'm got to get sure that power buff before you're allowed. <laughs> uh, but he drank from the Grail and returned to become king. And he created the chivalric code. His father had lived by such codes, and Louis sought to make them the foundation of the kingdom. The codes contain seven commandments that are as follows. To serve the Lady of the Lake, to defend the domains entrusted to him, to protect the weak and fight for the rights, always to fight the enemies of virtue and order, never to give up the fight until the foe be defeated, never to break faith with a friend or ally, always to display honor and courtesy. 
It also contains the rules of honor, which are a knight may only fight hand-to-hand -hand with sword or lance. He may not use a missile weapon. A knight shall always accept a challenge towards personal combat. A knight shall not draw a sword against his fellow Bretonian knights, except in trial by combat or within a tournament. A knight shall not allow himself to be captured alive. A knight shall not flee from the enemy nor retreat without proper tactical cause. So, pretty, pretty good foundations. I'd say, naturally, I think if everyone uh, followed these rules, Bretonia would be a very nice place. But you know, mm. in any society, nobody follow nobody follows all the rules. Unfortunately, you know what it reminds uh, me of though. Um, I'm just working on my Blood Angels content this month, and it reminds me of the uh, they have the five is it the five graces and the five virtues and the five graces. I think they are honor, humility, mercy, restraint, and forgiveness, uh. and. Then, the the other like the other the counterpart is like be strong be savage be detached kill things it's like okay fair <laughs> um, and that's like there nice. but there's also the whole thing they've got the grails and there's nobility I'm like that's an interesting mm. parallel with blood angels yeah. and bretonians and I knew louis that. louis dante and very french you know louis. <laughs> so, yeah nice that's fun um, so yeah faith in the lady became a key part of bretonian society and for a time the codes of chivalry were upheld, and Bretonia grew mightier by the day. <clears throat> the Fae Enchantress became the voice of the lady, and her authority was absolute, acting as a religious figurehead for the people. This was Bretonia's golden age. The Wood Elves would become their allies, and this gave Bretonia great protection, as no one could invade through Athalorn. Moving on through the timeline, there is another series of conflicts. In a humor, in a humorous, humorous, sorry, parlay between Tilian mercenaries and a few Bretonian nobles, a man named Eto the Fierce challenged the Bretonian knights to a joust. After the horsemen had insulted the Tilian's skill in battle, the Tilians arrived with larger lances. A sex joke was made, and the Bretonian knights went home ashamed. Just reminds me of Jago Savitarian telling, yeah, Corswain telling Jago Savitarian, like, "Yo, your mum lays with pigs." Oh, guys, come on. Well, I think it was the Bretonians made an emphasis on no enchanted weaponry, and so but the Tilians brought longer lances, which had nothing to do with enchantments. And then a Bretonian said, uh, the Tilian lances are longer than the Bretonians. And the lady said, we know. And then they all laughed and the good knights were embarrassed. And, yeah. Mine is literally bigger than yours. Like, come on, guys. Yeah. Get on with it. <laughs> um, and these were in the lands of Ravala, and they have not been fought over since. Going through the timeline, I've just highlighted a few things. I didn't want to talk, put everything in because there's a ton mm -hmm. of timeline stuff. But they went on a few crusades, classic, because nothing's original in Warhammer. Very well. Uh, and of course, these crusades were in Araby against a sultan. <laughs> what a coincidence. Um, mm. but, they, this, but they fought alongside the Empire, which was cool. I think it was one of the first times that they fought with the Empire. Um, so the Knights of Britonia and the Knights of the Empire fought beside each other against mm. the Sultan Jafar and his forces of, of Araby. Javar had invaded Estalia and was pushed back to his homeland where the Crusading Knights breached the port city walls and utterly defeated him. They would then skirmish with the many tribes of Araby and eventually in the final battle slay Jafar with the aid of Empire Knights. They mm -hmm. then left the desert lands, leaving the Empire to do with it what they wished because the Bretonians had no interest in sand and a place that's too hot. There's no farming to be done there naturally. So. Where are we going to get the water for the grails? There's no water here. Oh, no. <laughs> exactly. You can't have bath water if there's no water. So. Exactly. 
they had to go back. <laughs> uh, in later times, Thibault du Bois de Balzac. Du Bois? Like Bal- the Balzac is what it looks like. <laughs> this guy's literally named Balzac. But, uh, but <laughs> he led his crusading force through the mountains, defeating numerous greenskin armies and receiving great honor from the dwarves. And these lands would later become the Border Princes, which are the yellow faction, I think, ah. in Total War Warhammer. They got the yellow symbol thing, I think. Yeah, because okay. they're not Marienburg. Um, so yeah, but they're still around today because end times don't exist. And yeah, so they're originally Bretonians, Bretonian knights and lords, which is cool. Uh, one At one point, this is something I think Colin has brought up before, but Borderlow was plagued by the Skaven. Oh, yes. Uh, and in a less humane but effective act, Baron Giscard Dupont torched the infected quarter of the city uh, and this naturally killed a large amount of people but it did stop the plague uh, but the skaven later attacked in full force causing rampant disease to decimate the lands of Bretonia and tilia the insane but powerful duke merovich of musulon brought to the beginning of salvation lifting the siege from brion he later fought alongside other Bretonian forces as well as athelorn and the day was won but uh, the crazy duke's madness was fully revealed in the victory feast, in which the nobles were witness to the duke's shambling servants and morbid display of impaled criminals decorating his halls. And this is in Musulon, so in Total War, it's the Red Duke, but I don't think the Red du- I don't. I'm not sure if the Red Duke is actually a character, because the actual Duke of Musulon is the Black Knight, but it's close okay. enough, I guess. Um, mm. <laughs> anywho, the king spoke out, spoke out against Merovich, and they fought a duel eventually, but Merovich won, and he tore out the throat of the king and drank his blood. And I don't think he was actually even a vampire at this point, so it was just a really crazy guy. Uh, but then, <laughs> he was just doing it for a flex, like, watch yeah. this. <laughs> <laughs> so Merovich's kingdom was destroyed, though, and they killed him, naturally. <laughs> After this, great crusades were launched during the Errantry Wars. Uh, many were against the orcs, with some being in the far-off lands in Araby against the Tomb Kings. There was a time when the Duke of Musulon deceived many into thinking he had the true grail, but this was eventually revealed, and once again, Musulon was sieged, and ever since then, uh, there has been no officially recognized Duke of Musulon. The dukedom still exists, but the actual Duke is not recognized as a Duke. So, okay. uh, the rest of their history is just more conflicts against the various races of fantasy, so we can move yeah. on. At one point, Heinrich Kemlar invaded uh Bretonia with all of his undead buddies he's the evil wizard guy and yeah with that kind of name you'd think so so. (laughs) yeah (laughs) so yeah that's the general timeline of Bretonia because we're not going to talk about end times naturally I refuse to talk (laughs) about end times especially Bretonia's treatment in the end times I'm assuming it was bad it was very bad (laughs) 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 it was all bad regardless because end times suck but the one decision that they made that was nice during the end times um, was make the Green Knight Giles Le Breton. So that was cool. I'll talk about the Green Knight later, but um, that makes sense. I feel like they could have said that without it being the end times, though, anyways. So, but whatever. The rest of the end times, not canon. Only that one thing. <laughs> but, uh, I can I'll talk about their hierarchy, if I may. Yeah, go for it. So... Bretonia again follows the strict system of feudalism. The bottom, of course, are the peasants, who are generally sworn to fiefs ruled by lords, knights, and other such nobles. 
Like the knights of old, these peasants swear to serve the noble in exchange for their protection. They give nine-tenths of their harvest to said noble. And, and they have little tax rate. Jeez. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot, but, you know. Um, mm. But they have they do have little to no uh, rights for things such as reading, writing, education, freedom of travel, and marrying anyone of higher station, leading to inbreeding in a lot of areas. Well, if you Although, put it like that, like, what are you going to buy? Uh, <laughs> beer? That's about it. Barley? Uh. Yep, <laughs> literally. Um, they don't. I don't think they're allowed to travel to other dukedoms, but a lot of dukedoms have like it, populations that move around a lot. So I'm pretty sure okay. they are allowed to travel. Sometimes, in other, it's very. It feels very inconsistent of mm. how they. You need to have these, a very short, ex, very peasants. quick expiration date passport to go from each dukedom. Yeah. To like, yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, have you got all your stamps? Oh, have they all been. Oh, no, you can't. You can't leave. Sorry, not allowed. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, rebellion is seen with extreme punishment and a peasant who attacks noble will find their family to be tortured and killed simple as that um, um, you're not allowed to hunt in Bretonia either because naturally the king owns all of those animals in the in the land and so if you hunt something uh, worst case scenario is the local lord will replace you with what you hunted and hunt you down instead Oof. uh yeah <laughs> do they Not have um fun. do they have problems with like feeding themselves though do the, do the lords look after them and like here's your here's like a bunch of potatoes and some water at least or are they like <laughs> no we're uh, struggling we have to hunt uh. it depends uh a lot of peasants are pretty hungry fellas but um like they, they keep their one tenth of what they farm mm. and hopefully you had a bountiful harvest so, because that's what you got to feed yourself with, basically. Yeah. Oh, there isn't a famine going on, because then it sucks to be you, yeah. <laughs> says the guy in yeah. his castle. <laughs> um, <laughs> there are handouts sometimes, but they're pretty rare. Uh, when they happen, though, they're quite the big spectacle, and they're a very big deal mm. when you're getting free stuff, obviously. Um, let's see here. The advancement in society is rare, but there is uh, sort of a middle class of traders, doctors, and the likes but they are still sworn to the lords of their lands and must pay their nine-tenths of crops to said lords, but they generally do this in the form of currency instead. Uh, most of these were given permission by their local lord to pursue these trades and specific learning areas, and they have general freedom of travel, but are still the property of the lord, and these individuals are fairly rare, from what I can tell. They're basically peasants, but doctor peasants and trader peasants and stuff. Okay. There's no actual distinction, I don't think. It's just like one guy with a bucket of leeches, like I'm a doctor. So I don't know. I'm a doctor. (laughs) Just sticking. (laughs) But yeah, so there's kind of a middle class. It's, I mean, it's, it's just France, obviously. Like, (laughs) I'm sure you've probably gathered that by now. It's just uh, (laughs) there's just a bunch of boulangeries, and that's about it. You want (laughs) some croissants? No, that's all we got. Sorry. (laughs) Yep. Uh, let's see, but they yeah they are slowly coming into existence. Other ways to possibly advance in this society would be to invent something incredible, such as the inventor of the trebuchet. Um, but this is one of the only examples I can really give. Uh, Raponce de Lyonnais, who's Jean d'Arc, went from peasant girl to duchess of a ah. dukedom. So I mean, uh, take what you will. Like I said, that's the lore feels inconsistent, but it's fine. Um, I, with advancements, I do have a question, if I may. Um, mm-hmm. So the empire's got muskets and gunpowder. 
can they feasibly make them, but they just don't want to faff around with the technology and the infrastructure, or do they not know how to make them? Uh, a little bit of both. Science isn't <laughs> science isn't exactly a big thing in a society whose middle class is like non-existent, and they don't really yeah. have researchers and stuff as much. They have like monks and stuff, like abbeys, who naturally do their calligraphy and they write their scripts and stuff, right? Okay. Um, but yeah, they mainly, mainly it's part of it is they just don't have people who would really work on it, and the other part is they have no interest in it because it is unchivalrous and very un- dishonorable to <laughs> yeah, use such weapons. I, I suppose if, you're, if your populace for the most part can't read, you can't give them an instruction manual how to build a musket, <laughs> yeah, and then they're going to go, yeah. "Where's the others on the musket? No, there aren't. There aren't. No, you can't milk it. It's a gun. What's a gun? Like, oh no." <laughs> They do use ranged weaponry sometimes. Uh, they just have the peasants do it because mm. naturally no knight can use a ranged weapon. That's very mm. unchivalrous, but, you know, the lowly peasants are, you know, it doesn't. I mean, they, they can do it. It doesn't that's, matter. <laughs> that's kind of true to life with, as far as I understand, like, for example, when archery was developed, that was a big thing where the peasants could make it because they had loads of trees. And they were just like, oh, mm. we can learn how to do this. And it doesn't cost so much. And all the knights were like, what yeah. the fuck? Oh, my arm. <laughs> Ow. What is this? And they had, it was like a massive shift where it gave loads of power to the peasants to be like, oh, we can just shoot the knights from range. Yeah. And one of yeah. them's bound to hit like a gap somewhere. So, <laughs> Yeah, I think it was the English, the English longbows. They were mm. killing all the French knights. Mm. I'm pretty sure. Uh, thankfully, that doesn't happen in in this world because <laughs> we have superpowers, so it works and out. And guns, hey! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, but the people of the lower classes are—they're not allowed to own gold, wear certain colors, have plate mail, or carry a weapon that would harm a knight. So the best you're probably okay. going to get is like a a axe cheese knife. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're not allowed um, too many pigs or cows. You've got a limit, yeah. and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> literally <laughs> uh, these smaller areas are usually entrusted to knights who answer to someone such as a baron and these nobles also have a standing army of men at arms who are granted slightly better lives than the general peasantry and some even get small pieces of land they're just the peasants who can walk and aren't plagued by you know various mutations from inbreeding or ailments uh, in general <laughs> um, oh yeah who aren't sickly dying people and so they find the fit peasants and they give them some armor and some shields and then they go off and fight in the fight for good old Bretonia. but their lives are probably a lot better well they are a lot better <laughs> than the actual normal peasants it seems yeah but the general populace of nobles are knights by rights and by law um if you're born into it you have to follow it you don't have a choice if you want to be a knight or not so that's kind of a good thing. Uh, they follow the Lady of the Lake, and they must follow the cold. They must follow the codes of chivalry, and they must not use ranged weaponry. As I said, this is left to the peasants. Hmm. Many of these lords and some knights are incredibly powerful and honorable Grail knights. Well, some are simply strong and good individuals. Some, of course, are corrupt, as it is within any human society. Along with these lords and ladies, there are various other random nobility. And I didn't really want to figure out all the different titles. <laughs> <laughs> Above these individuals are the dukes who rule the dukedoms and have full authority over their subjects. At the top is the Royarch or king who owns the entirety of the lands of Britonia, including everything and everyone in it. The king has a royal court and generally only speaks to the upper echelons of society. That being said, 
The great man who currently sits atop the throne, Lewin Leoncur, is willing to hear the case of anyone, no matter their station. Even above the king in authority is the Fey Enchantress, as she is the voice of the lady, and her ward is respected above all in Bretonia. In fact, it is the Enchantress who ultimately crowns the new kings, so it is uh, the lady. And naturally, women are very well respected in Bretonia, as their primary goddess is a woman. Nice. And the head of their state is a woman, so that is a slightly different to, you know, old medieval times. Mm. Mind you, women, there are no women knights. That is a male-only profession, but they are women. The women are generally prophetesses or um, whatever. They're damsels, grail, grail damsels, who are taught by the Lady of the Lake and the Fey Enchantress, so they have their own... Doing like cast, yeah, like I'm just like, oh, we're we're not quite like we're there's like the the lower class and the upper class, and we're like that weird middle class yeah. <laughs> splinter, just like yeah, we we do our, do our own thing and we have privileges. Fair enough. Yeah, uh, I mean, although Rapunz is a woman and kind of a knight, I guess she's I don't know, she's not mm. technically a knight. I don't know. The, she's the, the exception the, to the rule. <laughs> yeah, theoretically, um, <laughs> there's a lot of titles and a lot of mixing and stuff. I was reading theoretically. Uh, Louis or Lewin Leon Kerr is technically two people because he's the Duke of Corone or sorry of uh not whatever. He's the Duke of whatever the place is, the name I forgot starts with the sea. <laughs> and he's also the King of Bretonia at the same time. Mm. But, well I suppose is it is it the current King of England is is the King of England and the Duke of Normandy? Or has he passed that title on maybe? No, I have no I, idea. I know like royalty <laughs> in today's time even are like, I'm yeah. I'm this and this and this and it's like, oh greedy. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. But yeah, that's the general hierarchy, if that makes sense. I think it's, you know, just like a regular hierarchy. Hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, it's not, it could be worse. It could be worse. Hmm. Naturally, the Empire is a lot more um, bureaucratic. And they, most of the Empire is more like middle class area, right? It's like, it's kind of like industrial industrial revolution stuff, but not really, I guess, because it's not... Like cyberpunk revolution. Kind oh, it's, of, we've got guns, but we're still it... tilling the fields. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard, uh, hard to tell. My empire lore needs to... I need to really touch up on all my fantasy lore. But yeah, it's much different than the empire. It's the last nation of man who still uses feudalism as everyone else has kind of moved past it or decided they didn't like it and all that stuff. Hmm. So, their religion, you know, is the next most important part of their society, naturally. Uh, in Bretonia, there is actually freedom of worship, with some individuals okay. worshipping gods that are as long as it's not chaos, I assume. Yeah, well, yeah, of course. <laughs> no, not them. No, no, no. Put that yeah, down. No, Put that six-pointed like, star, uh, eight-pointed star yeah. down. <laughs> yeah. More like, uh, I don't know, Moore and Ashby, I think that's one of them. Stuff like that. Uh, the Empire's gods, the Tilians have their own gods, all that stuff. And you're, you are allowed to worship whatever you want in Bretonia. Sigmar is not general, generally one of these because he is he was a man. So, you know, the uh, this Bretonian is Elder Inquisition. Scrolls. This is Talos in Elder Scrolls. You're not <laughs> yeah, allowed to Talos worship Talos because he was a man. You're like, oh, come off uh, it. He's a god <laughs> now. I saw it. It's real. Mm-hmm. So the Bretonian Inquisition, which from what I can tell is a thing that exists, which is fun. Huh. Um they don't like Sigma too much, but you are you are allowed to technically. You just it's kind of it's frowned nobody, upon. Not many people really do. Yeah. The only people who are worshiping Sigma are generally people like who are from the Empire and now living mm. in Bretonia. 
but yeah unfortunately though uh to worship a deity that isn't the lady of the lake is going to cost you a tax and uh, unfortunately again uh the peasantry are not allowed to openly worship the lady of the lake as they are unworthy to worship her so but huh. you know of course you have to worship a god it's that's the law uh so you know if you're a peasant you're just gonna have to just gonna have to pay the extra tax i guess uh, you can't be cheeky but... so i actually pray to the woman of the stream nope. ah, <laughs> but it's, unfortunately it's, it's, not <laughs> it's, it's not quite it's, it's not gucci it's gucky it's slightly different you know? uh, uh although um it oh it is crone i had the name right i'm thinking cargason uh although in crone or what was it in let me see here in one of the in one of the dukedoms the peasants do actually worship the lady it seems so i guess it just depends on where you live i guess whoever's in charge <laughs> gets to say oh this is allowed this isn't yeah, i'm in charge going to tell least. me no yeah that's like like i said i guess it's inconsistent because each dukedom is going to have their own set of rules and laws so you can't really blanket statement everything because hmm. the Bretonia also has very vast and diverse uh, geography and land, so all the dukedoms are quite different, and I'll get into them in a bit. But um, anyways, as I was saying, despite this, the cult of the Lady is still the largest religion in all of Bretonia, uh, because there's a lot of nobles and knights, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> and while peasants do not openly worship her at temples and the likes, they still believe in her, and many will still pray to her in private. Overall, though, most peasants worship Shalia, a goddess of kindness and compassion who brings comfort to the hard life of a peasant. Hmm. Makes sense. Um, yeah. Apparently, there's been heretical beliefs that Shalia is actually just in a uh, another form of the Lady of the Lake. It's just another mm. uh, apparition that she takes on, which, of course, the good old Inquisition isn't a, isn't a fan of that. So, mm. get that out of here. <laughs> the cult of the Lady consists of the noble populace and middle class, if you can really call it a middle class, because mm. uh, I'm still not sure. But slightly those... upper and lower class. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, I, I guess. Um, those who are not lords must pay a tax to the lady, and tithing is optional, of course, for higher-ranked nobles. But, you know, the, the, knights must, the knights have to tithe. All knights aspire to one day meet the lady and sip from her grail. They uphold they her honor. All <laughs> <laughs> right, okay. Uh, they um, uphold her honor and defend the good name of the lady wherever they go. Most knights are zealous and fervently follow the lady, and the Grail Knights are the greatest amongst these. And you go, I believe it goes. You start as a like errant knight, just as a little guy, and then you go as a questing knight which is, you know, you're going on your quest to find the lady, and then you become a Grail Knight. And a, a Knight of the Realm fits somewhere in there as well. Hmm. Do they have, but, like, uh, squires who have their own little uh, bonuses? Like, oh, you're a squire for a knight. <laughs> that, it's, like, better than a mm -hmm. peasant. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think so, yeah. I mean, technically, a peasant can be anything that their noble wants them to be. So right. maybe you might get to be a lucky peasant and... Uh, carry know, swords and stuff wire to it yeah clean is really lucky <laughs> yeah um so grail knights have sought and found the lady and have been directly blessed by her drinking the lifeblood of the land from her grail and they gain supernatural powers 
These Grail Knights are complete heroes whose honor and nobility is unquestionable. They are the epitome of Bretonia, the perfect image of the nation's ideals. These men are bound to the Lady and the Fey Enchantress, and many roam the lands, slaying monsters and defending the weak, while others go to serve within a lord's army. Many are paladins, I mean, and technically all Grail Knights are paladins, but paladins mm -hmm. are also their own thing. And paladins are individually blessed with superb might and martial skill, who are leagues higher than most knights of Bretonia and easily greater than the best warriors of the Empire. Uh, Grail Knights are like actual space marines. If you, put a spa <laughs> if you put a space marine in warmer fantasy, then they'd be the Grail Knights. Okay. Um, they also have like on the tabletop they have a ward save, which is a save you can take against like anything. So like, let's say a uh, trebuchet shot hits your knight if you roll your five plus he'll be okay so he just took that trebuchet <laughs> in the face it's but a and, scratch and just yeah, wipes his arm. <laughs> yeah that's it yeah what's so that they, you got come on <laughs> they basically basically gain plot armor and so missiles and ranged weapons just kind of don't hit them or if they do they just bounce off from magical powers and stuff like that um and they have incredible vigor they can fight for like days on or hours on end and without tiring they're just they're just superhumans basically in warmer fantasy please tell so. me that armor is called grail mail <laughs> if, only, <laughs> if truly if only but it helps since you know we don't have guns and stuff in bretonia then you might wonder like how are these guys not just like dead and worse than the empire but it's because they have all the crazy knights and stuff and mm. I mean, to be fair, they are mostly fighting like beastmen and undead and orcs who on their own aren't going to have, they don't have the, the guns or whatever anyways. It's not like the Bretonians really fight the dwarves or anything. So that their power levels kind of works in their favor in those aspects. And a cavalry charge is pretty scary. So <laughs> Yeah. And I, and I suppose, to be honest, even even though it's like guns, they are muskets. So even if, you, if you've got really good armor... I guess you could probably take a few hits and it would ping off or it would only like dent your plate a little and you go, yeah, oh, that wasn't yeah. so bad. Cleave them in half, you know. <laughs> yeah. As long as, you, I mean, yeah. Basically, as long as you're not going against uh, some dwarf like thunderers and cannons <laughs> With a massive stuff, blunderbuss then... pointed um, in your face with the unprotected yeah, visor. Like, oh, that's, that's not good. Gyrocopter bombs and stuff. <laughs> I don't, yeah, the dwarves are OP, but there's only a, there's not many of them, I guess, which is mm. why they aren't the rulers of Warhammer. They once were, which I guess Colin probably talked about that too. Mm. So you guys can go watch the uh, Colin episode on Dwarves for Fireside Fantasy, but I'll get back into mm. Bretonia. As I said before, the Fey Enchantress, also known as Morgiana the Fey, is the lady's voice and holds absolute authority over the nation. She is a powerful magic user who, through reincarnation, has lived for thousands of years. Morgiana mentors the damsels of the lady as she finds magical youth within the lands and takes them to a mysterious other world, which is where the Lady of the Lake resides. She occasionally takes males, and they are never heard of again. So, you know, I don't know, I'm just like, what's she doing with them? What's happening? <laughs> yeah. There's got to um, be some propaganda like, oh, I'm going to be chosen, no. And you find out what happens, and it's just terrible. Mm -hmm. like, oh, no. If I, I should um... give me a kiss. <laughs> <laughs> yep <laughs> I, I don't know if they ever reveal what happens to the to the males that she takes but basically if you're the magic users in Bretonia when they're kids you know 
if they can see the future or you know food gets rotten when they're beside them or weird things like that um the fey enchanters will usually visit them before they go through puberty or during one of the two um just when they're young and she'll take them and their family mourns them basically and acts like they're dead uh even if they come back but even if they do come back they are kind of just they must serve the lady and here i'll talk about them right now i have it right here uh damsels uh as i said are those children taken by morgiana and trained to realize their true potential and they are high re- highly respected within bretonian society and are their magic users grail damsels have a complete autonomy within the land and serve only the ladies uh their powers their powers harness the forces of nature to aid the bretonian armies generally shielding them from evil and healing their wounds. They also act as priestesses of the lady and advisors to nobles. So they have a pretty nice position. Obviously, they can quite literally do whatever they want and <laughs> just go wherever they want. Just get wherever. Like, yeah, I do what I want. You got, you got yeah. a problem? Talk to the lady. Oh, no. You're not going to talk to the lady? No? Okay. Well, get out of my way. <laughs> uh, the Enchantress herself, though, is probably one of the most powerful casters in all of Warhammer. Uh, probably only rivaled by things of think guys like uh, Teclas because okay. You know, oh, I was going to say just OP. Yeah, I was going to say is like just elves because elves are usually yeah. quite magic, yeah. good at magic. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but the Fey Enchantress is pretty elfy, so you know, I she's pretty high up there. I <laughs> she's elf light. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> said that she can kill you with a glance, basically. Oof. So she's pretty. She's pretty strong. She's certainly the most powerful caster in the old world, easily for sure. Uh, and she rides to war with her, with her Grail Knights in the times of dire need. So moving on, unless you have any questions. No, I'm, I'm yeah, good to go. It's interesting. Swiftly talk about the armies. Um, the armies of Bretonia generally consist of a lord, a paladin, a damsel, valorous and skilled knights, great trebuchets, men-at-arms, and when the situation calls for it, scores of peasantry. The kingdom does not technically have an actual standing military, and the armies are created usually through calls to war. The king will call upon a baron, who will call upon his lord, who will call upon his knights, who will call upon his men-at-arms and peasants, and so on. In any conflict, it will be common for the Bretonian force to have far more cavalry than the enemy, and they often rely on the great trampling charge that comes forth from these knights. Obviously, the hammer and anvil tactic is also employed greatly, as the somewhat armored and trained men-at-arms hold the enemy at bay for the knights to crash into their flanks. There are no cowardly weapons such as cannons or guns within these armies, Ugh. and only peasants will have bows or uh, man the trebuchets, which are tolerated. When one has the blessing of the lady, they need no such things, as oftentimes ranged attacks will simply miss them or be deflected by the magical properties granted to such knights. The peasants are naturally not overly useful for much more than being bodies with weapons, and uh, they usually just make for at least a good distraction. But Mm. under the authority of a proper and chivalrous knight, they may be pushed to some degree of actual martial skill, however small it may be. Each peasant Mm. must learn how to fire a bow, and the lucky ones get to use this skill instead of being sent to the front line. Yeah, just, just with like said, a big spear, just like, oh, oh, here yeah. they come. Oh, no, just uh, hold it in front of you, Gary. It'll be fine. Like, I don't like it. <laughs> Poor guy. That, that being said, though, um, the peasant bowmen and peasants in general do have to bring their own gear 
to the battlefield. So. <laughs> their own you gear know. that they've bought with their 10% of yeah. like, profit from their tight. Like, oh no, yeah, assuming well, they're know, not worshipping yeah. the lady and they're actually paying 95% tax <laughs> plus the possible tax wherever the Duke is like, oh, by the way, we're doing a water tax. So that's another percentage. Like, oh, I can buy myself a slingshot. Brilliant. <laughs> yep. A lot of taxes. A lot mm. of taxes. Um, me, it probably depends on what lord you have in the land. There's, I'm sure there's a good chance that some knights or lords will provide their peasants with something. Um, it's encouraged for them all to learn how to use bows, like just from a young age. And I assume they probably know how to make bows at that point. Um, and if not, they likely get some equipment every once in a while. But yeah, generally they're showing up with the clothes on their back and the pitchfork from their backyard. So. You know, it works. They stand in the way for a little bit for the trebuchets to shoot at the enemy or the knights to charge. Because I know know you said they don't have like a standing army as such, but as far as scale goes, I know the peasants probably are the vast majority. Are they like equal in terms of size to the empire or a bit smaller? Or is there a good Um, way to explain what the comparison is? I believe Bretonia is one third the size of the empire. Okay. Something like that. One third or one quarter. They are the largest nation of man, uh, second to the empire. Hmm. And so, they are nowhere near as many as the Skaven or the Orcs. <laughs> no, no, definitely not. But as uh, I mean, obviously, one Grail knight is equal to like literally a thousand Skaven. So yeah, it works out. <laughs> but yeah, that's the general armies. They're not overly complicated. They're fun though. <laughs> I uh, I think I'll talk about the heroes now before I talk about all the dukedoms, because the dukedoms mm-hmm. are a little bit less exciting. Okay. Unless, yeah, yeah, we'll do that. I'll, I I won't save the best for last. I'll save the best for right now. <laughs> the most, probably one of the more important heroes, the cooler one, in my opinion, is the Green Knight. There's not much on him, because he's a pretty mysterious individual. He just has a lot, he done a lot of really epic things, like 1v1s, or like 1v5's giants, basically, mm. and defeats entire armies. But he is the sacred protector of Bretonia and the judge that tests all questing knights who seek the grail. He is a mysterious and ghostly being who appears at random whenever he is needed most. Uh, he contains the power to rout armies and slay the champions of every variety. The beastmen call him the Soul Killer, and he is rightfully feared by the mutants. It's a pretty freaking... I've had, another, name. I've had another Blood Angels comparison with him in the Sanguinor, to yeah. be honest. I'm like, yeah, yeah, he turns up occasionally. He's kind of ethereal. Oh, he's yeah, really you're strong. Right. You're right. Ooh, but he's <laughs> yep. not red and gold. Okay. <laughs> yeah, he's green. He's he's kind of like Grombrindal. I don't know if Colin talked about uh, uh, Yeah, Santa a little Claus bit, I think, yeah. Grombrindal just kind of shows up <laughs> when he's needed and then kicks butt and leaves. Yeah. Although and I know the, kinda... the Sanguinor is like, he's really, really strong, but he doesn't actually try to like decimate his enemies. He's more like, I'm a helping hand. And he doesn't mm. actually turn up that often. And he doesn't, he doesn't just go, and we won an overwhelming victory. Cause that's not his <laughs> style. He's like, no, I'll just, I'll just like chip in. Cause I'm not mm-hmm. supposed to do all the heavy lifting. You're like, oh, why not? I don't know. Cause I'm the Sanguinor. Okay. <laughs> uh, I believe on the tabletop, the green knight has the ethereal rule. So you can't actually wound him unless you have a magical weapon. Wow. As long as that rule stayed the same from when I played Warhammer Fantasy. Okay. <laughs> um, so but, if you just like yeah. insert him in the middle of someone's army and they're like, I've only got melee units. Like, oh, well. Yeah. Yeah, basically, because he's a, he's a ghost, basically. Mm. 
ghost or demon or apparition or something weird like that. It's Who not are you really Charles Leprechaun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, truly. Um, yeah, it's not really explained what he really is, but it works. It's also not really ever explained who the Lady of the Lake, like what she really is until the end times. And like I said, we don't talk about the end times, so it's not, it, it doesn't count. Okay. Uh, <laughs> she's just but, not, she's not an elf. Yeah, that's right. Definitely she's not. not can't, can't be, no. You know, even if she is an elf, I'm not even, like, it's it's okay. Honestly, I'm not even that <laughs> if she's an elf. It's just, the in the end times, I'll briefly say, the end times from what I remember, basically, uh, the elves said that Bretonia is just a meat shield for chaos, and they tricked them into just being there so that the elves could fight chaos after them. Uh, from what I can tell, that's what it was. And uh, that sucks. <laughs> just bad writing. What, yeah. what, the end times didn't happen. We all know that. Uh, Old World's coming back. It's just a bad dream. Yeah, I see Bretonia on the front cover of Old World, so you know what? Nice. I think we're, I think we're winning. I think we're winning right now. <laughs> uh, anyways, though, back to the Green Knight. When a questing knight goes out for the grail he will eventually be approached by the great knights and they will duel if the young man the young man must defeat the green knight to receive the lady's blessing of course the green knight could slay them in an instant but the battle is more about testing their strength and valor and honor and so he's kind of he kind of gauges what kind of person they are and how they fight and if they're really worthy of receiving the blessing of the lady and then that's kind of more of how you win the battle more so than actually being more powerful than the green knight. Cause mm. obviously the green knight would like that wouldn't work. He would just, just yeah. kill you. But <laughs> it, it kind of reminds so. me of, um, Azrael and the dark angels when, when he, I think when he becomes chapter master, there's these weird spectral knights that come from the banners and they're like, who do you mm. serve? And they, they start attacking him and he's like the emperor. They're like, no, who do you serve? Uh, humanity? <laughs> no. And they just like start bashing him. And he's like, just the dark angels. I only serve the, and then they're like, then they recede. You're like, oh, it was just a test to be like, you're, they're what more the important than the emperor. They're more important than the Imperium. The dark angels are the most important thing. Don't wow. forget. Like, oh, that sounds yeah. like that sounds like how the Horace Heresy happened. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> wow, but that's the Green Knight. He's pretty cool. He's uh pretty badass on the tabletop, and he's really fun to use in war in uh, Total War because you kind of you just get this little button, and then you can put him down wherever in the enemy army, and he explodes and comes out and kills everybody, and he's pretty awesome. Mm. I have a PDF of the. And he goes bang, 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 and then he disappears. <laughs> <laughs> I have the PDF of the Bretonian uh, army book, but it's on one of the websites that makes you watch an ad before you can see a single freaking page. So, oh. uh, maybe yeah, we'll we'll go without his rules for now. <laughs> that's okay. He'll come back in Old World, though. I sure hope. I really, really hope. <laughs> I mean, but, I, I assume he's like the flagship unit. Like he's the most popular thing from the faction, or at least the most iconic. Mm. I would say probably i it's either him or the guy who i'm going to talk about next okay who is lewin leoncourt uh, and he is the current king of bretonia and from what i can tell the most powerful man alive by a long shot like you put wow. carl franz in front of this guy and he folds carl franz in two uh and just like kicks him like a ball over their neighbor's fence and leaves him there. Wow. Um, <laughs> from what I can tell. I'm sure tell, Colin will have some words about <laughs> that statement. <laughs> maybe, maybe my Carl Franz lore isn't um, 
read up upon, but I'm pretty sure Carl Franz is just a guy. Yeah. Who has kind of the blessing of Sigmar. He's just a, um, he's just a swell guy who's doing his best. Yeah. In the end times, Carl Franz gets super strong, but this isn't the end times, so hmm. I'm going to keep going. <laughs> As a young man, Lewin took the questing vow, and uh, he was younger than perhaps any before him. And for many years, he wandered Petronia, slaying beasts and lending his aid to all those in need. He was a paragon of chivalry, defending all no matter their situation. Uh, in these days, they called him Leoncoeur, which is lion-hearted. Uh, during one of his quests, he rescued the prophetess Carolinda, and she blessed him, giving him superhuman strength. He later fought none other than the Green Knight himself in his uh, duel to prove himself. And their duel was intense and legendary, and after a grueling battle, Lewin proved himself worthy and defeated the apparition. He actually cuts the Green Knight's head off, and then the wow. Green Knight uh, kneels down and picks his head up and puts it back on. And kind of like <laughs> just imagining him, like, him like, like just putting his hat, like padding the floor, like, where's my head, where's my head? Where's my head? Where's my head? I, can see, I can see out my eyes, but I can't see where they are in relation to my body. And just goes, oh. It's mm. like, that's never happened before. Sorry, this will only take a minute. Click. <laughs> There, yeah, there's a nice moment where the Green Knight knocks Lewin off of his horse, and so then the green guy gets off of his horse as well as he, you know, mm. it's very chivalrous. He's like, don't forget honorable. the chivalry. That's the whole uh-huh. point. <laughs> uh, he would later find the lady herself and gain her blessing. He drank from the grail, and his power became absolute. Some people even say he got a little smooch from the lady. Mm-hmm. Possibly. Uh at just least a at some point in his life. Just a little, yeah. Say, oh, I like yeah. you. Very good. And then the <laughs> Green Knight's like, I didn't get a kiss. <laughs> <laughs> Tough stuff. Tough stuff. But for the next 40 years, he continued to quest throughout the land. And yet, Grail Knights, from what I can tell, are essentially, they're either immortal or they age at a much slower pace. Yeah. Because that's... one of, yeah, one of Giles' buddies died when he was like 160 and he died in battle. so. And he was a Grail Knight, right? Yeah. He okay. was one of the Grail Companions, even. Oh, wow. Which I guess are more powerful. But yeah, anyways, he quested for 40 years throughout the land, again defeating the greatest foes he could find, and growing ever higher in the, fa- in the lady's favor. And finally, he returned home to inherit the throne of his father, who had passed away. He first reinstated the Grand Tournament, which drew in the mightiest warriors of the land, yet none... No one could defeat Lewin. So every knight, basically, every most skilled knight from every dukedom came to fight Lewin, and they lost every time. And I don't think it was only fighting either. I think there were multiple events. So he's already proven himself to just be, like, crazy. It's like chess boxing. It's like, we'll have a quick duel, <laughs> and then we're going to do, like, throwing javelins at targets, and then uh-huh. we're going to have a quick, quick game of, um, a quick game of uh, what's it called, where it's, like, the army game Ruse. Is it Ruse? No. Risk? Risk. We'll, risk, play, a, we'll yeah. play a quick game of Risk and then we're back on the horse. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, jousting. <laughs> uh, there was a game show where oh, I was just probably just America thing. It was like a whack at Wipeout, Wipeout. He was a. Oh, yeah, Wipeout. There, there's stuff. a UK yeah. version as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I like to, to think Bretonian Knights were doing stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> or like Takeshi's Castle, just like, oh, he's going to fall off the thing. Oh, mm-hmm. dear. <laughs> <laughs> 
He proved his skill in all aspects of kingship, politics, warfare, trade, and the likes. Time and time again, he has led his armies to victories against every single threat posed to his kingdom. Not once has the king broken the vows of chivalry, and he is willing to hear the pleas of any of his subjects, be they peasant or lord. From what I can tell, he has never been defeated ever in all of Warhammer history. He is essentially immune to magic, and I don't think he is even human anymore. Uh, whenever he is wounded, shining liquid light pours forth from his body, and the wound is healed immediately. So wow. he's basically, I think he's basically like a demigod at this point. I'm assuming um, this is all because of that that grail water. Like, mm, he got he got a good bath. good goal for that stuff. Made him well <laughs> yeah, strong. Bath bath water and a smooth, <laughs> and that's all you need. <laughs> yeah, it was the kiss that did it. It was like just the kiss yep. was enough to make mm-hmm. him be like, "Was oh, <laughs> a lady." And it's like a strong. like a Looney Tunes type of cartoon. He like flies up a little bit. In, the With his acne his sword, like, yeah, yeah let's go. <laughs> so he's basically immortal and nearly invincible and just stupidly powerful. Um, he is also, again, from what I can tell, never lost a single battle within war, uh, leading his armies to victory as his long life and many blessings uh, gra- have granted him wisdom beyond any other mortal generals. He has proven himself a pristine diplomat as well, being buddies with Mr. Karl Franz, and he's trusted and honored by all the forces of good within the old world. A little bit uh, about his war gear. He has the crown of Bretonia, and it shines with the lady's blessing to inspire everybody around it. On the tabletop, I think it basically made you, everyone within 12 inches or something, or 18 inches, immune to panic, which was just like they're running away check, that makes sense. His blade is known as the Sword of Coron, and has been passed down through generations, and has been enchanted by the mirror pools of the Great Forest, and shines with a blinding and burning light. His shield is the Lion's Shield. It has been blessed and reinforced time and time again, and gives him incredible protection against magic. Thomas Hippogriff. Not to be confused with the lion shield in 40k, which is actually the Emperor's shield. (laughs) Correct. Not that lion shield, it's this lion shield, yeah. That's right, this one's cool. Uh, (laughs) Atop his Hippogriff, Biaki, he rides to battle. Uh, He has raised Great Street from birth, and it is as capable a warrior as any knight of the nation. So, uh, on the tabletop, Louis rules, let's see, he has the uh, Puissant Virtue, and while so while he's fighting and challenges, he can reroll any failed rolls to hit or to wound, but he must always accept the second result. Uh, Lewin also counts as having the virtue of purity, which is just another rule. He's beloved son of Bretonia. If he's removed as a casualty, all Bretonian units must take a panic test. They all, for the rest of the battle, they count as being stubborn. And then he's the army of the king when he goes to war. Uh... The finest warriors of Bretonia march with him. The 0 to 1 restriction on Grail Knights is lifted. When Lumen is general, however, men at arms and bowmen become special choices. So he can take a whole bunch of Grail Knights with him, but you can take less men at arms and uh, bowmen, it looks like. Okay. Which is pretty cool, I think. He's the lady's champion, so he bears a blessing even more potent than others who have sipped from the Grail. He will always have the blessing of the lady, even if the army did not pray. Oh, yeah, you had to pray before you're. Oh, that man. Warhammer fantasy was so cool. What the heck? How did they get rid of this stuff? Uh, in addition to the ward safe he receives from the blessing, Lewin Kerr has regeneration, so he gets his wounds back. Uh, however, 
The lady's code is so integral to his nature that if Lewin Kerr flees for any reason, fails to rally, or refuses a challenge, he will immediately take a wound with no saves of any kind allowed Oof. and will lose the blessing. He will, however, maintain his regeneration. All right. So moving on to his items. Uh, the Crown of Bretonia. Uh, it's looking like, yep, friendly troops may use his leadership characteristic when he is within 18 inches. Uh, and any unit with line of sight to him is immune to panic. That's pretty good. The Sword of Caron. So the sword confers plus one strength. In addition, any foe in base contact with Luwin at the beginning of any close combat must take a leadership test. If this is failed, that model may make no attacks this round and will be hit automatically because it says that it shines with a dazzling, blinding light. Uh, and finally, the Lion's Shield counts as a normal shield. In addition, Lewin has a magic resistance value equal to the total number of dice used in the casting of any spell that affects him. This can exceed the normal limit for magic resistance. For example, if a fireball is targeted at Lewin using four dice to cast, he will have magic resistance four. So he gets four opportunities to cast. And I believe you just had mm. to roll like a six on it or something. Wow. So that's pretty cool. He has some mm. cool rules, naturally. Unsurprisingly, as he should. <laughs> but moving on. To just one more hero, because I figured I shouldn't talk about every single Bretonian <laughs> noble to ever exist. And also, because there aren't actually many... I think a lot of the heroes were actually made for Total War. They existed in the lore. They just didn't really have rules, I don't think, from what I can tell, just mm. looking at it. But my favorite Bretonian, who I talked about a little bit earlier, is Ponce de Leones, who is literally just Joan d'Arc in Warhammer. And I'm a big Joan d'Arc fan, of course. Nice. So. In the times of old, this was before Lewin Leonker, I believe, uh, Coron had been invaded by chaos and largely destroyed, seeing the current king slain. <clears throat> As the raiders dispersed through the fair land, Raponce's village within Lioness was attacked. The lady appeared to Raponce and told her to drive the evils from the land. So the young peasant girl opened the local grail chapel, took the sword, and of course a fleur-de-lis banner... Uh, and she also donned a set of plate armor from a dead knight and mounted, mounted a loose warhorse uh, and rode to battle. Seeing such bravery from a peasant girl, the knights were convicted and took up arms to follow her. Their armies crashed through the forces of chaos, and with the lady's blessing all around her, Raponce slew the enemy chaos lord and saved the nation. She would become the, the Duchess of Lioness, gifted to her by King Louis the Young. So, peasant to duchess. That's pretty cool. Nice. It's very... Yeah, Warhammer is not very original, oh, but that's although whenever okay. whenever I think of Joan of Arc, I think of uh, Bill and Ted uh, when uh, in the first movie she joins the band and they go adventuring and she's like, oh, and then she's praying. All of a sudden, there's the telephone <laughs> box and they just reach out and she joins them and then they go for the shopping mall and she's trying, uh, she's like dancing to stuff and trying to fight the security guys. I'm like, oh, Joan, <laughs> I've not seen, I've not seen this. Oh, the the first movie, Bill and Ted's an excellent adventure. She's in it. It's good fun. Nice. I will. I'll take that. Check that out. <laughs> That sounds fun, but yeah, those are those are some of the highlights of the heroes. I'm a big fan of them. I talked about Morgiana earlier, the Fey Enchantress, so she's obviously a very important one. She rides upon a unicorn, I'm pretty sure, or a Pegasus. Mm -hmm. I know it's a unicorn. It's totally a unicorn because the yeah. damsels sometimes ride on unicorns, which is fun. I uh, lastly, I have the dukedoms to talk about, cool. and I only wrote a little bit of them because there's 15 of them. Yeah. So I didn't want to, uh, you know, bore you all with my geography lesson i think they're all pretty cool but so i only did a little bit so but where i'm going from north uh, of bretonia to south of bretonia and starting with corone um this is probably the one colin makes fun of the most because they really like horses but is it also the, the closest to the empire like it, geographically i'm trying to think um, where it is 
Uh, no, that would be. I think it's Paravon. So that so they're not all like clustered in like one landmass, is it? Are they just all over the place? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. They're well. They're all just on the Bretonian province, or I mean, right country. Yeah. Uh, there are all on the same country though. But, okay. Right. Yeah. I'll I'll put a map up on the on the footage. <laughs> cool. Goron is the Bretonia is dukedom and is ruled by current king, Lewin Leon Kurt. They have the best horses in the entire land, which is naturally saying a lot, as Bretonian horse stock is already extremely high uh, quality everywhere else. The people of this land are obsessed with horses, and the culture has even become part of their politics. Instead of an assassination attempt or political ploy, a rival will instead try to sabotage their enemy's horse in a horse race. Yeah. Okay. And that'll be, yeah. <laughs> are there, do you... Is it confirmed that's like, are there laws where you're not allowed to injure a horse? Because I like, for example, when I think of, mm. is it India where they're not allowed to injure cows and such because they're mm -hmm. sacred? It's like, is that the case where Bretonia is like, oh, if you're a peasant, you're not even allowed to like impede a horse just <laughs> grazing anywhere. It's like, no, it's, mm. it's important. Leave it alone. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good question. I don't actually know, but I wouldn't be surprised mm. if that was a thing. But uh, even peasants in Caron, though, generally have ridden a horse before, which is nice. Um, but so these people allegedly are riding horses before they have even learned to walk. And the best knights usually come from this dukedom, naturally. Moving on, moving down, I guess I should say, we have Le Anguille. Again, I'll probably say many of the names wrong. I don't care. It's, I'm not French. So. <laughs> it's French. It's difficult. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, this is the oceanic dukedom of Bretonia and lies on its northern shores. As a result, it is one of their trade hubs containing a great port city. Much of the wealthier middle class resides here as it is ripe for trade and potential. It is shielded by its neighboring dukedoms and bears a good weather, meaning fruitful harvest for its beautiful countryside away from its ports. So it's mainly, it consists of two different types of people, the city people and the countryside people basically and it's the classic countryside like oh those dang city slickers have never worked a good day in their life type of thing <laughs> let them out to use a plow up in yeah. those cities <laughs> in their office blocks they've never worked no calluses on their fingers i wouldn't yeah, trust literally. them as far as i could throw them <laughs> uh, lioness is an entire dukedom of petty schemers the lay of the land has allowed these people to erect vast and impregnable fortifications, giving them essentially no external threats. As a result, with no enemy to fight against, they turn to each other to sate their need for conflict. Oh. The rivalries last generations, and the dukedom will likely never gain unity. Lioness is massive, and many of its villages are actually upon islands. It is sad to see them in such disunity, though, as the dukedom has a rich history and has fought many valiant battles, where Ponce was from Lioness as well. So how does that work with their chivalric values if they're always infighting? Is it just, oh, we're allowed to be a bit <laughs> naughty as long as we don't, like, spit in your eyes or, like, do anything uh, or stab you in the back? Or I mean, they're not really supposed to fight at all, so this, this is one <laughs> of the examples of a uh, less chivalric people. Pushing the limits of chivalry, like, oh, I didn't I didn't yeah. throw you down the stairs. I merely <laughs> tripped you down the stairs. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. And there weren't caltrops <laughs> on the stairs either, so mm -hmm. it could have been worse. Like, hmm, <laughs> don't know, mate. Yeah, yeah, basically. Uh, but Theorulf the Lionhearted was said to be Giles' most loyal companion and even married his sister, and he's from Lioness. So truly, it is very sad to see the state that they are now in. Mm. Uh, 
Artois is a dukedom almost entirely covered in forest. The majority of its populace resides in the small section of open land, but some villages lay within the dark woods. Within these woods lurks many great beasts and foul beastmen of chaos. The people who live in the open land are hardy and adventurous, while those residing within the forest are isolationist to the extreme. So dangerous is the forest that the people hold funerals for those who leave and assume they are undead if they ever return. Oh no. Good old superstitious Bretonians. Mm, I'm assuming they're quite superstitious then. <laughs> yeah, quite. Um, this place is home to some of the most noble and good men to be part of Bretonian nobility. They fight hard against the evils and many uh, treat their peasants very well. One particular baron even brings his peasants to L'Anguille every year. So, nice guy. As this is that's a good example. It was a bad example in Lioness, and now Artois is a good example of actually good. Yeah, go from one end of the no, spectrum yeah. to the other, like oh scumbags, and then Paragon, yeah. <laughs> lovely. Yeah. And naturally, when your village in the woods is being attacked like once a year at least by beastmen, everybody needs to know how to fight and be in generally decent condition to if they want to yeah. survive. So. And, and you're going to grow bonds of friendship and camaraderie. Like, I oh, remember when we like cut off that beat, beastman's head <laughs> a year or two ago and you saved my life. Yeah, you're my best friend. You're my mm-hmm. best mm-hmm. friend. It's like, yeah, no, you're my best friend. You looked after my horse when I was on holiday. You're my best friend. No, you're my best friend. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> Truly. You'd make a good Bretonian, clearly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Gizero. I don't know. Gizero. Gizero. I don't know how to say it. Gizero, maybe? Um, I don't know. Sure. It is a dukedom with a diverse geography and, as a result, home to multiple different cultures. Farmers, trappers, woodsmen, and mountaineers reside within their respective regions, and the people of the dukedom are kind and welcoming, granting shelter and a good meal to any visitors who come through their lands. Montfort is a dukedom almost entirely residing residing within the Grey Mountains. They sit between Bretonia and the Empire, so this is one of the ones that would be closest to the Empire. Um, I think there's only there's three passes through the mountain, and then there's so there and then there's three dukedoms that are on the mountain, and that's those are the ways to get to the empire basically. Um, the people of Montfort are tough and harsh, and uh, they live in hostile conditions, constantly battling against greenskin invaders. And they have a hatred and distrust for all beings non-human, so even dar- uh, dwarves and elves and halflings. They just uh, okay. don't like them. Because yeah. is that um, is that just specifically them, or does Bretonia have a weird like? Because you mentioned about how they work with the, the dwarves, are they actually quite mm-hmm. chill when it comes to other species, or they're like, no, we don't like yep. them? I think they're pretty good. Um, they because they work with the dwarves and the wood elves sometimes. So some the wood elves, the Bretonian like nobles, the greatest knights are some of the only ones allowed to ever enter into Athelborn. Yeah, like 99% of other human beings who enter Athelorn are never going to come out because yeah. the wood elves are very... I mean, to be honest as well, if you think of like an empire guy just walking in, he smells of soot and he's been working in the factory. <laughs> yeah. He's like, oh, you're bringing yeah. in like smog into the... Ugh, get out of here. Yeah. Ugh, go and have a bath. Come on. Yeah. One of these dukedoms is actually like has part of the Athelorn forest in their dukedom and the wood elves let oh. them be there. So That's nice. Kind of neat. But yeah, that's that'll come up. Musalon is the spooky wookie dark and bleak dukedom oh, it no. has lost its official status and has no recognized ruler malnourished mutant beings reside here and the lands are covered in swamp the most healthy individuals are those who come from the outside and these are generally the scum of humanity who come to seek shelter in the one place no authority would care enough to follow them in 
It is a horribly miserable place and run down and just disgusting. Many of the nobles of this land have reigned for suspiciously long amounts of time as they are actually undead. Muslan was once home to great knights, but is now nothing but a land of shadows. <laughs> they used to have grail knights, now they have fail knights. They, they, oh, <laughs> <no>. <laughs> yeah, they have they have pretty cool like black knights and stuff though. In fact, oh, cool. the the bastard son of Lewin Leonker, or at least allegedly bastard son, I think in the end times it's confirmed that he is. So I don't know. Choose it if you want to believe it. Then sure, whatever. Um, but the guy who's the ruler of the land, who's called the Black Knights, um, is allegedly the bastard son of Louis Leonker. So wacky. Bastogne is the dukedom which Giles himself hailed from, and is at the heart of Bretonia. It holds the cathedral of the cult of the Lady, and holds the most Grail knights in all the kingdom. Unfortunately, not all the people are Grail Knights, and the residents of these lands are extremely arrogant. They still cling to the fact that their duke was made, their dukedom was made by Giles, um, and they believe themselves to be far superior to the rest of Bretonia. Yeah, it is said that the peasants of Bestone openly worship the Lady, so that's neat. I guess they're allowed to. <laughs> they're like, there. what are you going to do about it? The Green Knight will come and get you. He'll get you. Let's do what we want. Look, he's well mm-hmm. cool. Yep. So. Uh, I think there was a little quote that I saw uh, just in response to something that some guy from Bestone said, and then the other guy just says, okay, but who's the king now? And yeah. And then he was like, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. Well, my dad was Giles the Breton, mm. so I'm better than you. <laughs> he hasn't been on the throne for several years. Well, it doesn't matter. <laughs> mine's, mine's the best, best one. <laughs> uh, Borderloo. Borderloo. I don't know if I've said it right at all in this podcast, but that's okay. It's the wine country of Bretonia, and it shows. The general population is perpetually drunk. And <laughs> I was going to say, peasants... I'm... I'm loving the idea of Grail Knights completely sloshed on their horses and going, come here, you smack you with my cup, you bastard. And even the horse is like trotting along a little bit drunk. Uh, (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) Even the peasants here can afford the wine um, because it's so cheap. Not all the people here are alcoholics, though. And those who work hard... Uh, generally become experienced sailors as Bordeloo has many ports and um, stuff like that. They thrive off of trade, similar to L'Anguil. The coastal people worship Manan, the sea god. Pretty neat. Paravon is another mountainous dukedom that divides Britonia and the Empire. The castles of this land are built high upon cliffs and mountaintops, and the dukedom is home to the largest concentration of Pegasi, so they have lots of Pegasus knights as well, which, as the name sounds, are just knights who ride Pegasus, which is the flying knights. Can't go wrong with that. Hmm. The other part of the dukedom lies within Athol Lorne, and the Wood Elves have permitted the people to reside there. As a result, Faravoni people are known to be extremely cautious with their movements, not disturbing anything wherever they go anywhere. So naturally, if you're in Athol Lorne and you uh, break a tree branch by accident yeah and I was 50 say, arrows you, in your back you accidentally <laughs> brush past a daffodil and some of the petals fall off like oh no i've done i've, I've done a violation of our agreement oh no i'm i'm, yeah. I'm, I'm causing mayhem and the i was like can't do that <laughs> yep 
Nails are merciless too, the wood elves are. They're crazy. <laughs> you, oh, you, you trod on our petals, therefore we are going to flay you. Like, oh no, please, <laughs> yeah. please. I'm already a peasant. I don't have much. <laughs> yep. uh, the populace, though, uh, travels all across Paravon, and it is a tradition for the people to have entered um, the entire dukedom throughout their lives. Again, making me wonder about the freedom of travel rules and if they are as strict as they are made out to seem. But maybe it's place-to-place basis, like I said. Aquitaine is simultaneously the most beautiful land of Bretonia and the most violent. With a gentle and calm geography and no external threats, just like Lioness, the people result to fighting each other. Feuds, revolutions, civil wars, and the likes are constant, yet it also has made these people particularly strong and brave. The poor duke tries his best to resolve these conflicts, but it is an impossible task. Despite this, it is a jewel in Bretonia, and any traveler would be lucky to see it. Quenelles is a large dukedom that has a nasty orc problem. The land envelops massive Oracle, a place that has held greenskins for many years. If you play Total War, that's the, and you play as Bretonia, it's the one orc settlement just in the middle of Bretonia that's just randomly sitting there. <laughs> Some believe that the land is cursed by the long-lost dead that were killed by the orcs before, and the Quinellans hate the orcs probably just as much as the dwarves, which is saying a lot, because the dwarves hate more than probably anybody in Warhammer, so... Other than maybe the Skaven. I want to yeah. say they hate them more, because they're like, you blew up yeah. our stuff! Oh, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, in fact, many adventuring knights seek to aid the dwarves in the eradication of the greenskins and take up arms with them. So there's a little dwarf and Bretonian collaboration so would it be fair to say they have better better ties of friendship with the dwarves than say the empire um i don't know it probably depends i think the empire is their greatest ally because i mean the dwarves although they're really nice they're still dwarves so they're not you know they're not humans they don't really share the same things and the dwarves are still generally suspicious of everybody. <laughs> but <laughs> Especially uh, the guys sipping on their ground. Like, hello there, yeah. Pip. Like, mm, I don't know about you guys. Brit- You're a bit arrogant. <laughs> yeah. Bretonia is the Empire's, or the Empire is Bretonia's greatest ally and also greatest rival. So, hmm. naturally. I don't know if they've ever really fought um, for an extended amount of time before. I think they have fought, but not often. They're generally pretty nice. And especially with Lewin being the diplomat that he is, they're usually on good terms. So that works. Uh, Brionne is another land of beauty with people who absolutely love art. They are obsessed with making the best, most gorgeous architecture and so have the greatest and cleanest towns in the land. Unfortunately, at a whim, they may tear it all down and build it again to make it look better. They also sacrifice practicality for aesthetics Yet they live in a very safe place, so it's fine. It is a dukedom of romance and poetry, with love being a well-respected thing. Each citizen is a poet at heart, or at least they think they are, uh, and it is a very dramatic place, with the politics being akin to a Shakespeare type of play, (laughs) with, you know, love and affairs and all that stuff. Yeah. They're a fun bunch of fellas. And then at long last... In their history. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Long last, we have uh, Carcassonne, which is probably my favorite dukedom. And it holds potentially the most able peasants. They are very militaristic people who are constantly battling the orcs upon their southern border. Even the the lowly peasants have been trained and are relatively skilled warriors. Uh, 
This naturally makes the Knights of Carcassonne incredible fighters. The whole nation is made up of noblemen, whether peasant or lord, as they all or of noble noble men. It's two words, not one word. Um, whether peasant or lord, as they all strive to fight so that their nation does not have to. They have a love for art and poetry, as well as just like their neighbors, feeling such things close to their hearts, as these are the things that they may enjoy because they fight to maintain Bretonia's safety and freedom. So, they're pretty awesome. And that was, that's the dukedoms. Nice. Overall, that is uh, that is a fairly the very basic uh, overview of Bretonia as a whole. Hmm. I, I mean, if, if, but again, I must say, even with that last bit we were talking about the the, the dukedom that's very into art and everything, I was just there going like, mm, blood angels, <clears throat> blood angels, rails, <laughs> art, being noble, <laughs> immaterial being that saves them in mm-hmm, their darkest hour. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm, mm. <laughs> I was I was lor- worried that I had written too much, but I think that was a good length. So yeah, that was good fun. Yeah. Um, if I if I convince you that Bretonia is not so bad, yeah, at least I in mean, the slightest. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm I'm intrigued to to see about like how the Grail Knights operate in 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 combat because they just sound like so juiced up. Like, yeah, like mm-hmm. I, I guess I guess I know you said Space Marines, but I feel like maybe is Custodies a bit more their level of like yeah. oh they're pretty much the apex probably... human fighter other than like named yeah. big 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 characters mm-hmm. like Gotrek or or Felix or who are like oh we've got some plot yeah. armor to help. Um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah and, and and I like um, here's the thing because because they are very much like we're all chivalrous and we do all the are they somewhat hampered by the stories that you can tell about them are very like you can only do these specific things and so you can't have a Grail Knight who who go forgoes chivalry and becomes like mm. oh we don't talk about that guy but he's also a legendary character in the setting because that's mm-hmm. not what we're about um, yeah. And, because I know you said there's only a few characters of, of like proper note, and yeah. when I've been doing, for example, characters like the Blood Angels, I did Astaroth the Grim, and I was like, oh, it's like he's pretty grim. <laughs> mm-hmm. but that's all he is. It's like, oh, there's not really yeah. not much to talk about. He's just he's a grim guy, yeah. and I yeah. feel like that's the, the case with Bretonia to an extent. Yeah, yeah, they are slightly one dimensional. Like their the entire history of Bretonia is just them fighting battles and. Winning the impossible odds, just kind of over and over again. Yeah, Um, there are some wacky characters like Merovich, the guy who drank the blood of the king. Oh, Um, but yeah, I mean, they they are slightly one dimensional. I'll admit that there is a story. I haven't read the book. I really would like to, but there's a story where a knight of Bretonia travels through time in Athel Lorne and slays a dragon to save his wife, and that's it's a classic knightly tales like that. Yeah. And his name was Royal George, um, King Royal George. Uh, <laughs> he killed the dragon. Wink. Uh, don't worry. There's uh, no parallels. Uh, uh, but, yeah. But if, uh, if but... you were to start off with Bretonia, if, if for example you're someone who's a newbie like me and you're like, I want to get into Bretonia, would you suggest either a book or getting into the Total War Hammer Games, or is is there a good mm-hmm. place to start? Um, I mean, finding the army book PDF online is the probably the easiest to digest naturally um there's i would really like to read more fantasy books it's been a long time since i've really done any of that stuff so uh, we'll need i want to do a beginner to expert maybe someday after i've read like five bretonian novels because i don't know if there's that many of them but i'd love to read them it looks like there is a knights of bretonia omnibus so that's kind of a that's always a good place to start in warhammer stuff right 
the omnibuses I, are very. I've I've still got my word bearers omnibus that I haven't started, yeah. and I've been working oh, through the uh, the Blood Angels omnibus, <laughs> and I'm about half. I'm like 600 pages out of a thousand through it, and I'm like, oh, it's so good, but it's very. It's definitely like old Warhammer, where it's like, oh, mm. they're still calling them legions when it's the Adeptus Astartes, and oh, it's a bit more gritty, but there's some really fun stories mm. in them. Yeah, yeah. So unfortunately, don't know too many books that I could recommend, but I think the Omnibus is usually a good start for most things, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. But other than that, um, as as the 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 local Bretonia expert, I want to thank you for telling <laughs> us about the, the the Grail Knights and all their their antics. Um, thank you, Mister Andy. If you were to cap off the episode with with a kind of pitch on why you think people should get into Bretonia, uh, do you have anything you'd like to say? Sure, I think just Tony has the coolest heroes in Warhammer, and when you when you you have the bad bunch, but once you when you get to the good guys in Bretonia, they're like really good guys, and they're very noble, honorable men. Some of the best men in all of Warhammer, with some of the craziest deeds and most uh, you know inspiring tales. And uh, if you like you know like Knights of the Round Table type of stuff and that aesthetic, then you know it's right up your alley obviously just like in knights in general the aesthetic is awesome like i said before the bionicle mega blocks knights you can't go wrong <laughs> so yeah overall it's just beautiful the people all work together they're fairly unified unless you live in like leoness um yeah i don't know. i just really like i like how dedicated they are to the lady as well you know naturally and um yeah no, it's nice it's always fun to call your wife the lady of the lake and stuff so <laughs> Might as well, you know, try to be the questy knights in real life. <laughs> and you pay a lot of tax. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, don't worry about that part. Yeah. If you're a knight, you don't have to pay as much tax. So yeah. what are you going to spend it on anyway? You've got your horse, you got your sword. Yep. You don't uh-huh. need anything else. Maybe a beer one once in a while. <laughs> um, and it's kind of fun that they're dudes who have been just like blessed with divine power. They don't need guns or missiles or bombs and stuff like the all the crazy other dwarves and empire men they just have horses and good old-fashioned horses and lances and they mm. may they get the job done it just reminds me of that skyrim meme of the boxer it's just like fool <laughs> skyrim has guns and it's just him with his arms out and his <laughs> muscles like yeah brilliant. that's right that's right they have basically space marines in warhammer fantasy so but not epic. age of sigmar space marines the other ones <laughs> that's right they didn't, yeah don't 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 bring that up they don't even they know they didn't they even exist. get to be in age they're, of sigmar they're fan fiction they're made up it's a I lie mean, the empire barely even exists like trick Oof. whatever i, I don't want i don't know my age of sigmar lore very well i just know that a lot of people speculated that bretonia got turned into the flesh eater courts because the ghouls are all about how they are they think that they're like chivalrous honorable knights in like a beautiful land, but they're actually all crazy ghouls who are just schizos and stuff and eating people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, that that was an absolutely lovely episode. I had a lot of fun learning about the uh, the Knights of Bretonia. Uh, this is our last episode of the year, uh, but I thought it'd be fitting. We we've had a lot of requests for Bretonia, but if anyone has any suggestions on what we could talk about next time please let us know in the comments. It's, it's been good to have Eli on Fireside this time. We've we've now all been on, been on an episode. Uh, so maybe we'll, we can come back and do a, another discussion about something else in fantasy. We'll see. Mm-hmm. Have a think about what nice. we could do. Um, but other than that, uh, thanks everyone for, for watching. And we'll catch you all on the next one. Bye everyone. Farewell. Love you. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. <laughs>